1: Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown podcast. It is Monday, May 24th. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And today, today we're going to talk a little bit about the incoming freshman class at Notre Dame. And we're going to briefly get into uh, just what we've seen from this class, the overall impact that I think we're going to see from this class. And then we're going to focus most of our time on the in- incoming freshmen we haven't seen yet. and And right now, that's about half the class. So when you look at this freshman class, I I think that obviously when you have a class that was ranked as high as Notre Dame's, when you have as many top 100 to 150 caliber players as Notre Dame's class had, uh, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to see an impact earlier than maybe people expected. I think when you combine that with the fact that many of the strengths of this class, offensive line, secondary, wide receiver, running back, tight end are positions where the Notre Dame depth chart has, an I don't want to say a need, but an opportunity for younger players to come in and earn some some playing time. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And and we saw the biggest freshman class of early enrollees in Notre Dame history. There were 12, actually 13 early enrollees this spring. We saw Tyler Buckner have a good spring. We saw Lorenzo Styles do some good things. They're both in position to earn playing time this year. Kane Brong and Mitchell Evans, one of those two players is, if not both, are going to get playing time this year. Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler have opportunities to start for Notre Dame this year. Gabriel Rubio, even with the injury, is going to have an opportunity to play this year between Philip Riley and Ryan Barnes at corner I expect at least one of them to have an opportunity to play this year and then Justin Walters had a very good spring and Justin Walters is one of those players that I don't know if I don't know if I would have put him on the list of guys that I expected to play as a freshman before spring ball when you look at the situation where you know he didn't get a play as a senior Illinois didn't have football uh, in 2020 because of COVID so they canceled spring football uh, he decided to go um, you know, he he decided to go to Notre Dame early instead of playing as a senior. Uh, so he he missed out on that opportunity to develop and and improve as a player, at least improve in our eyes as a player. So it was really hard to gauge, you know, where would Justin uh, Walters be? Well, then he comes to Notre Dame. There is an opportunity for a freshman to play as as in early on at safety. And he had a great spring flashed a lot in the practice videos, had a very good blue gold game. So he's another guy that that's a lot of, er, that's a lot of freshmen with an opportunity to play. And that's just the early enrollees. Now we're going to focus on the group of freshmen that are set to report to Notre Dame next month. And as you, as you will recall in recent seasons, we have seen where Notre Dame actually brings players on for some, for summer school now, and it's the entire team. It's not just the, uh, it's not just the veterans, but the entire team will come back. So around June 11th or 12th is when I expect the entire team to come back, and that is going to include the, the uh, incoming freshmen that aren't on campus now. So it's going to be our first chance to start for the coaching staff. First-
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. you need indeed
1: chance to in person see the entire team together you're going to have 12 new face 13 excuse me 12 new faces that are going to be part of it and it's going to be another influx of talent so let's first go over i'm going to show you the list of the 12 players that i expect to that are right now anticipate enrolling this summer and we're going to talk about this there's seven guys that i think have a really good chance to play two more that have an outside chance to play, and then three that I expect to be for sure red shirts. And so let's first take a look at that list and we will talk about it a little bit. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So this is the group of 2021 freshmen that have yet to arrive on campus. And I'm looking over it now just to make sure that there weren't any mistakes that I missed. Looks good to me. So as we kind of dive into this freshman class, as you can see, there's some really talented, highly regarded players on this list that, that Notre Dame has not yet seen. And that's got to be exciting if you're the football staff. And when you look at the running back situation, for example, you've got two running backs coming in. You've got two more receivers coming in. You've got three more members of what was a giant secondary class coming in. The offensive line is going to have a little bit more depth showing up. And then obviously the one big question for me is Jason Onye, where does he play? Does he play on the end or does he play at defensive tackle? Because he has supposedly put on a lot of weight so far. So let's kind of dive into the guys that I believe have the best opportunity to play as freshmen. And I'm going to begin with, with Deion Colsey, which might surprise some of you because we've seen freshmen not get a lot of opportunities at Notre Dame at wide receiver to play. We have seen freshmen that have been just as highly ranked as Deion Colsey, if not more so, come in and not play for their first year, sometimes for the first couple seasons. But I think this is a situation where Deion Colsey, to me, more than any other player, has an opportunity to play as a freshman. And and there's a few reasons for that. Number one is Deion Colsey's unique skill set. Yeah, Obviously, Dion's at every bit of 6'3", 6'4". I've seen him listed at both. Notre Dame, I believe, listed him at 6'3", but that was from when they measured him in when he visited as a, I think it was a rising junior. He's grown. I think he's every bit of 6'4". He's going to be pushing around 200 pounds when he shows up, and he's a talented player. So I think, number one, there's nobody else in the depth chart now that we've seen in the last couple of years Miles Boykin Chase Claypool, Javon McKinley, Micah Jones, a lot of the big receivers that Notre Dame has recruited in the past are now gone. Now they're in the process of trying to restock the depth chart with nothing but big players, but we'll get into that in a later podcast. But right now, Deion Colsey's a bit unique. The next biggest player on the on the roster is Kevin Austin, who's 6'2", 210. Well, Deion's got him by a couple a couple inches. And that right there is another reason that I think Deion Colsey has an opportunity, in my opinion, to play as a freshman, and that is the is Kevin Austin. And the fact that Kevin Austin is a player that, as talented as he is, has an injury history. I mean, Kevin Austin's going into his senior season and not an injury history. He's coming off of a major injury. His reasons for not playing in the past weren't really about, about uh, injuries. It was about other uh, other things. But When you look at Deion Colsey, he's stepping into a position where I don't know if there's another natural W on the, on the roster other than Kevin Austin. I don't think Joe Wilkins is a natural, natural W Xavier Watts is definitely not a natural W. And I still don't understand why they had him playing there this spring. Uh, But Deion Colsey to me is a more natural W. He is a player that you look at and say, that's somebody that has an opportunity to go out and play that position and play that position at a high level. So That's another reason why I feel that this is an opportunity for Deion Colsey to come in and play just because of the makeup of the roster. And then when you talk about the only other player at that position that I believe is someone who uh, can come in and perform as a true freshman, the fact is, is that that player is someone who has just not played a whole lot of football during his time at Notre Dame. And, And so, you know, to me, I look at it and I say, the opportunities are there in every way, shape, form, or fashion to Deion Colsey for Deion Colsey to step in and perform. Mm-hmm. I think the other part of it is, is there's enough positional flexibility between Kevin Austin and Joe Wilkins and Xavier Watts, the guys who played W this spring, to where you can play Kevin Austin and Deion Colsey together if Deion plays well. And that right there is is really the big question mark for me having Deion Colsey at this spot. Now, coming out of high school, I had Dion as my number five ranked player in the class, and that grade was based off of the current grade. You know where they are coming into, uh, you know, finishing up their high school careers, coming into Notre Dame. And Dion is is a unique player because, from an upside standpoint, just a raw God given ability. I'd say the only players on the in the on the roster, much less, I mean, the freshman roster, much less just the offensive side of the ball that you could argue that have higher ceilings than Deion Colsey are Blake Fisher and Tyler Buckner. That's it. I mean, Deion Colsey has a five-star upside grade and it was easy to see. You could see it when he was, when I got a chance to see him at Notre Dame's camp, you could see it on his junior film and you could even see it on the senior film when he didn't necessarily have a great senior season. And here's some things that I really like about Deion Colsey. We've talked about his size. He's got very much got a, a miles Boykin type of body. I think he is a is a is a very fluid athlete, more than you'd expect from a six four player. You know, a lot of things I've talked about with Tobias Merriweather, which is why I love uh, Tobias Merriweather. Uh, and and you look at him and say, "Hey, look, this is a six four kid that m- doesn't move like most six four players. A lot more smooth and fluid." You know, Brian Smith, who's who's done work for us. Many of you guys know Brian Smith. He went and saw Deion in person, pardon me, and he said. Uh, you know, this kid, this kid turns his hips like a cornerback. You know, he thinks he could play safety in high school, in college. I don't know if I agree with that, but that his, he was being a bit hyperbolic. in when you talk about pointing to his, his athleticism, he's got a very natural route running ability. He's got very good ball skills. And, you know, his speed was one of those things where m- m- one of my knocks on Dion, it wasn't a knock as much as it was just a concern is Dion did not play against great competition. And sometimes when you're as big and as athletic and as talented as Dion is, and you're just dominating your competition, you may think you're playing to your potential. You don't really know if you are or are not playing to your full potential. So when, when you look at Dion and you say, you know, this is a kid that that has never really been challenged to the, to the level that, you know, let's say a C.J. Williams is being challenged, you know, having to play against the teams that he's playing against or. You know, some of the other players, you know, uh, Lorenzo Styles Jr. plays against very quality competition. So Dion wasn't really being pushed to that degree, and it's not his fault. And it's that old expression of, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And and Dion's thing was either he's going to get to Notre Dame and he's going to struggle making the adjustment, or he's going to get to Notre Dame, realize that he's going against very talented players as well, and that's going to force the best out of him and if that happens the moment that that happens Deion Colsey's going to have to play he's got that kind of talent and that's the thing that kind of ex- that not kind of but excites me about Deion is if if he quickly adjusts to the college game and realizes this is what my A game actually is he, he's going to be really good because he has that unique combination of size natural strength vertical speed elusiveness foot quickness and agility balance and leaping ability. I mean, you can see that on the basketball court. So he's a player that at the very least should be able to come in as rotation player early on and provide, you know, 15, 20 snaps a game. Maybe he's a good red zone weapon. I think the only question that I'm going to have as regards to being a red zone player early on is, is he going to have the strength to, you know, handle press coverage, handle guys that are trying to reroute him as he gets vertical, there's a level of a strength that goes into playing that position that I think is needed as well. But Deion Colsey, for me, is at the top of the board of incoming freshmen that not only have a chance to play but need to play because, again, I believe he brings a skill set that, that nobody else really has. Next, let's talk about Prince Colley. You know, P- Prince Colley a very interesting player because he, w- he went through a really unique change from a recruiting standpoint. You know, he was a guy that not a lot of people knew about when Notre Dame offered him. And you, you learned a little bit about him and you, you kind of liked his film and his upside based on junior film. He was a 1,000-yard a receiver. He was also a very productive linebacker. And, and then you look at the next part of it and you say, okay, what, how's he going to develop? And, you know, Clark Lee obviously saw something in him that Notre Dame really liked. They got a commitment from him. He was a three-star recruit. And then all of a sudden he comes out as a senior. He rushes for over 1,900 yards. His game on defense approved. He got bigger. He got stronger. He got more explosive. And the next thing you know, he's a top 100 recruit. And now I look at him and I say, boy, this is a kid that's going to be hard to keep off the field. Now, when I look at Deion Colt, uh, Prince Colley, excuse me, I see a guy that he's going to have a little bit of a tougher battle getting actually a lot of snaps on defense. But I think that if he plays rover – then the opportunity is going to be there. I think Prince is a kid that could, could push Paul Mawala, who's coming off of an Achilles injury. He's a guy that could push Isaiah Pryor and, and get on the field. Now, if he plays inside linebacker, if they move him to, to Will initially, then that's going to be a little bit of a tougher deal. If he stays at Rover and can play Rover, and and I my understanding is that's where Notre Dame is going to try to start him, if he's comfortable there and can play in space, then I think you're going to see Prince Colley have an opportunity to earn some playing time by the end of the year. At the very least, however, Notre Dame's got to be smart enough as a staff to know that, that Deion Colsey, or excuse me, Prince Colley is not a five year player. He's not a guy that's going to come to Notre Dame and be here for five years, barring injury. So there's no reason not to immediately push him on the special team. So I'll be really surprised if we don't see Prince Colley as a First game, September 5th against Florida State on the punt team, on the kickoff coverage team, maybe even the kick return team. So at the very least, he's going to play there. But I think the reason I give him more of an opportunity to play as a freshman at Rover, even though you can look at the depth chart at Rover linebacker and say, well, it's going to be really tough to push your way up the depth chart. And it is. His unique experiences as a football player, I think are going to benefit him more than most linebacker type of players. And we're talking about a kid that's not only athletic, he's very athletic, he's explosive, he's powerful for his size. In some regards, he reminds me a lot of Jeremiah Koromoa in that regards, where he, he doesn't have to take 10 steps and get going to deliver punishment. He can take two, three steps. He's got great recoil. He can really explode. He's got very good, very good short area quickness and short area power, which is important and why I felt that he could eventually grow into an inside linebacker, even though at six two two ten, which is what he was listed as, he projects more as a rover right now. So when you look at, at, at Prince projecting to the next level, you say, look, to play a rover, he's going to have to be a guy that's going to have to learn a lot. He's going to have to be good against the run. He's going to have to drop into coverage. He's going to have to play some man coverage and those type of things. Well, the those are areas where I felt Prince thrived in high school. But the other part of it, when I talk about his unique experience, is his – look, this is a kid that rushed for over 1,000 yard, 1,900 yards as a running back as a senior, had over 60 catches for over 1,000 yards as a junior wide receiver. He understands offense. And I think those opportunities and those experiences, I should say, are going to be things that help him to uh, to grow even quicker uh, when it comes to getting comfortable with some of the more challenging parts of playing rover, which is the the pass game, the coverage o- opportunities. So when I see Prince Collie, I see a kid that's going to be, as I said, very very difficult to keep off the field. And and it, you know, with Notre Dame signing so few linebackers the last couple of years, I think that's even more reason why I I think he's going to have a tremendous opportunity to play this spring. When you look at at the next the the next player on on my list it's really there's a couple pairs where i have a couple guys listed side by side and i don't necessarily think both of them are going to play equal amounts it's more of i think between the two of them they're going to have an opportunity for one of them at least to have an opportunity to perform and that and that first one is running back and and when i look at logan diggs and audric estimate i think between the two of them one of them's going to play I think one of them is going to have an opportunity to come in and, and compete for a, a situational role, a situational opportunity. I think that you look at, at the two of them and say if there's an injury or a suspension, which is certainly something that could be possible, then you're going to have an opportunity where they're going to immediately step into that number three, that number three role. So when I look at those two players, I see two guys that, that have all the traits you need in a running back to play. Uh, as a freshman number one size logan digs is six foot 200 pounds at least audric estimate was listed at six one two fifteen. 215 i don't know if he's six one. he's 215 they're very good they have very good size i think both of them have experience running inside and outside so they're not just you know with that size they're not just between the tackle thumpers they're guys that can run outside so they can run they they both showed prowess and pass protection in high school for uh for high school players and especially in the case of Logan Diggs, you saw a guy that was a very good pass, uh, excuse me, pass catcher in high school. So I think that's where I, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably give a little bit of a leg up to Logan Diggs because he does have a more well-rounded game. The advantage that Audric Estime has is he has more of the game and body to come in and push for a short yardage goal line type of role. Now I don't know how much that role is going to be needed because Kyron Williams is so good in that role last year. But if you're Notre Dame and you're looking for opportunities to maybe allow Kyron to be fresher throughout the season, there are certain things that you're not going to necessarily want Chris Tyree to do. You're not going to necessarily want Chris Tyree coming on on fourth and goal from the one and a half yard line running off tackle. That may be an opportunity where you want a bigger guy to come in. I think that's where Audrick has to make it find a role. Sibo Flemister obviously had a, a I don't even say arrest because I don't know if he was arrested, but he had a, a legal situation come up recently, which we talked a little bit about in the show. I don't know the ramifications of that. I don't know if he's just going to have some sort of team punishment. He's got to clean the locker room for a, for a while. I don't know if he's going to have to you know, run some steps for a while. I don't know if he's going to be suspended for a, a, a part of the season. I, we don't know the answer to that. And you know, if Brian Kelly holds true to pass form, we won't know the answer to that until we see the Florida State game and we see whether he's dressed or not. So that, that that could also open up an opportunity for the young players. And if if Sebo is out for a period of time, it's going to be hard to, to get that job back when these guys come in because both Logan Diggs and Audrick Estime are going to do a lot of the things early that Sebo did. The difference is, is they're bigger. They're more powerful runners, even though Sebo runs hard. These guys are more powerful runners. And I think both of them have better – projection in the pass game audric as a pass blocker and then logan as a pass catcher so i think those are situations where those guys are both going to have an opportunity to come into play right away and and they're both talented enough to play right away and their presence is honestly why i'm not as concerned about the depth running back should an injury happen because i think they're both very capable freshman backs of coming in and running the offense and it would be it would be wise for coach taylor to not do what they've done with running backs and, and scout team players in the past, which is once you go run scout team, you're, you're kind of an afterthought. It'd be very smart for them to make sure that those guys are still being coached up, still in the meeting, still getting those opportunities to learn the offense because an injury could easily thrust one or both of them into the lineup and they need to be ready to go because physically they're there. It's just now about getting the technique down, getting the assignments down, understanding the tracks, understanding the reads, understanding the pass protection responsibilities, understanding the route. Responsibilities, understand the timing that it takes to check, release into routes and those type of things. They're going to need a lot of work, and and uh, to me, I think the early fall camp might be a good time to get them a little bit of extra work. You know, Notre Dame had an opportunity last year because of COVID and guys being out because of quarantining and all the other kind of stuff that you were able to get Chris Tyree some some early playing time. It would be good for me to say, hey, look, Kyron Williams is your guy, right? We all agree on that. Maybe you. Don't play Kyron quite as much. You're going to practice him, but maybe instead of giving him, you know, 40 reps per practice or 40 reps or or whatever the the number of carries he's going to be, you know, maybe you cut that by a third early in fall camp and give those to the younger backs to allow them to get some first team reps, just so that when the you know if there's numbers called at some point time in the season, it's not the first time they've ran behind the first team offensive line, and then that allows you to help keep Kyron Williams fresh because it's imperative that that you keep Kyron Williams fresh as we go into the season. Next is Kerry G. Now, this is another interesting player for me because he has got, he, I think there's some questions, not questions from a negative standpoint, but questions from a, his versatility standpoint to make me ask, what position ultimately is he going to play? I think if he's right now, when you look at his, his listed weight, he's three. he's like about 190 pounds. That's a safety size. And I hope that he's able to stick at safety because I love that range on the back end of the defense. I really, really like Carrie G's upside. He's a, like I said, rangy athlete. He covers a lot of ground. He's got good, he can play the center field just effectively as he can come down and, and run the alleys. He's a guy that has good playing speed. He's a guy that is a strong tackler. He can deliver physical hits. He's an instinctive player. We see him. We see him show the instincts to be able to jump routes, to to take plays with good angles, all the type of things that we see from him on film. The other thing we see on him from film is a big body. in In that, even though he's about you know one ninety now, he's got the kind of frame that you could say if if the weight room's good to him, he could be two hundred plus pretty quickly. And then you say, okay, do you then move him to rover? If you move him to rover, does that mean you bump Prince Collie inside to Will? You could get into some situations where maybe you won't have the biggest linebacking core with those guys on the field, but you're going to have an incredibly athletic and rangy linebacking core. I still would like to see Kerry G get every opportunity as a freshman at safety. I think the depth at safety necess- necessitates that. I don't think they're in a situation right now unless they're willing to move multiple corners to safety. And We'll get into that that I don't think you have the depth at safety where you can start moving your freshmen around. I think you need to give them an opportunity to compete early on, and Kerry is another guy that I think is going to have an opportunity to play special teams as a freshman. Again, not a five-year player. Most of these skill players are not five-year players, and if they are five-year players, they're not necessarily guys you're going to want to bring back for a fifth year, and if and if the, and if that's happening, it's, it needs to be because of an injury, and then you can get that medical year back. But when I look at Kerry G, I see a guy that that – Notre Dame doesn't have a lot of guys in the roster right now that project to be middle of the field safeties. And that wasn't necessarily an important thing in the past. It wasn't an important thing under Coach Lee because his defense was more of a, a true two safety defense. They would play some center field stuff, but it wasn't, it wasn't a defense where you needed a true center fielder. I think there's a greater need for that in Marcus Freeman's defense because Notre Dame does play so much man coverage. Now, They'll show a lot from two safety looks, but one of those guys is going to roll. An ideal world is that all your safeties can do that because you want to have the flexibility to, to roll different guys, which allows you to, to rob different guys and allows you to, to be more versatile and flexible with your coverages. But not everybody can do that. Kerry G is a guy that I think could play center field. I wouldn't say it's necessarily his primary trait, but if that's the role for him, I think he could play it at a very high level. And so he just, he's another in a long list of of rangy, athletic, high IQ football players that is unique to this class. The depth of talent in this class to me is what made it so good. Yes, there's the high level guys. There's Blake Fisher, who was a five star recruit, according to Rivals. You know, there's Prince Kali and, and Gabriel Rubio, who SI All American had in their top 50. Tyler Buckner's a top 100 recruit. Uh, You you just go down the list. Rocco Spindler was a top hundred recruit. This is a very talented top end class. But what made this class so good to me was it was so many deep, so many players in the class that you look at their tenth, their eleventh, their twelfth, their thirteenth was as good as any player at that same position that they've had under Brian Kelly, if not better. And that's why I think there's a higher number of players. I mean, look. There's maybe four or five guys that I say, that guy's not playing as a freshman. And it's mostly linemen. It's, it's like Pat Coogan. It's Joe Wald, It's Jason Onye. It's Caleb Johnson. It's, it's, it's Will Schweitzer, who has an injury. That's it from a big clone, Ronnie Paulus. But for the most part, I look at this and I say, boy, there's, a, there's, a, there's 20 kids that could come in and help us freshmen. They're not all going to play because Notre Dame's pretty loaded. But I think it gives you an opportunity too to say, hey, if if DJ Brown's going to play, if if Litchfield Ajavon's going to play, if KJ Wallace is going to have to is going to play this year, they're going to have to earn that playing time. They're they're going to have to go out there and perform at a high level. They're going to have to go out there and and be consistent, be effective, be veterans. You know, because the reality is, is the freshmen have more talent than you. That's a fact. I mean, the freshman safeties are more athletic and talented or bigger than D.J. Brown, than litchfield Ajavon, and then to a degree, K.J. Wallace, although he's got a different type of skill set. He's more of a cover player. So that is a positive that even if Kerry Car- G and Justin Walters don't play as freshmen, it, I think it's going to be a situation where it's because they have their performance and their play has forced the older players to step up and play, which is not a bad thing at all. So let's get to the next couple guys on my list. Now, this next two, and I'm going to bring that list back up again, just so you can kind of have a little bit of a refresher on this. These next two guys were also listed together, and that's why the list was uneven, okay? That's why there's seven on one side and six on another, because I really wanted to get these two guys side by side. And if you're asking where Kahanukia is, I did not list him because my understanding, and I've not got any Different word than this, and and I'll continue to look. But my understanding is he still is going to be going on a Mormon mission. So I don't, I still don't expect him to enroll this summer. If he does, we'll address it and we'll talk about it. But that's the list of guys right there. And I have Jojo Johnson and Chance Tucker listed there side by side. Uh, And when I was talking with Jason about this, because this show kind of came from an idea that he had, he wanted us to talk about the incoming freshman. I was going to do it much later down the road, but you know the points that he made were really good. I think now's a good time to talk about it. But we we're we we're discussing it. And I, I think you have to put those two those two guys kind of side by side because they're both competing for the same opportunity. I don't see it as a situation where Chance and and Jojo are, are going to compete at different positions. I think they're both kind of in an opportunity where they bring some unique traits that could fit in as a slot corner. You look at Jojo, he's shorter but he's a, an elite athlete in my opinion, or at least he's a borderline elite athlete. He's got tremendous footwork, tremendous agility. He, he's got explosiveness, he's got strength. Seen some pictures of him lately. He's, he's taking very well to the Notre Dame strength program, to say the least. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, to me, like Tariq Bracey, brings up a different skill set to the table. And we have a question that Mike Gardner just asked the question, and we're not going to address questions during the show, but but I'm going to get to this because here's another thing that could could stand out about, uh, about JoJo Johnson. But you look at JoJo and you see a guy that is still learning the position of defensive back. He didn't really play it. He didn't really commit to it until his senior year, which is why Notre Dame got involved. So what I don't know about JoJo is how much growth will we see from the end of his senior season – to the beginning of his Notre Dame career, because there's a lot of room for technical improvement. But where I love JoJo as a freshman is he's got the quickness, the toughness, the strength, and the instincts, having played so much offense, to where he could be a guy that could slide into that nickel role. I, I see him, I see Tariq Bracey as the most natural, the natural cover players that Notre Dame has, regardless of age. And there's a need to have that kind of guy in the slot. I think Chance Tucker is in a similar situation as well in in that he's got a unique skill set too, which we'll get to. But here's the other thing about JoJo. JoJo's in a situation to where he's going to have to make a sort of show himself relatively early, not so much from the standpoint of he has to play as a freshman, but he has to show that he's picked up defense quickly. Otherwise, there may come a situation based on how the 2022 class is being put together and some of the decisions that are being made and uh, which I believe are questionable that there may be a need at some point in time down the road to move him to offense because Notre Dame is, is you know, maybe not this year, but down the road. So he's going to have to make an early, imp- a good impression on defense for the coaches to be able to pound on the table and say, no, 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 no. We can't move him to offense. You need to go recruit, actually, slot players. Don't try to recruit him from our defense. Go recruit him. There's a good one in Virginia. Maybe you should push harder for him. And, and, you know, because that's a situation where if he's not pushing, if he's not looking comfortable, it's going to be a lot easier for the offensive coaches to be able to convince the the defensive staff to let him come over to offense if the need arises. So I think it's imperative that JoJo does make a, a strong impression, even if it doesn't necessarily mean playing time, to where he looks comfortable playing defense chance tucker's a different situation because with chance he was a guy that that i was really looking forward to seeing as a senior and he did play as a senior but we, he didn't play a lot because california didn't play very long seasons and i haven't seen film yet of a senior year but he was a guy that when you look at chance tucker the things i like about him is i'm normally i'll be honest if a I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about a recruit in 2022 class that he said has kind of grown on him. I'm usually very much against Notre Dame recruiting guys that grow on you because I feel like at Notre Dame, you should recruit guys that just, you pop in the film and you're like, yep, that guy's really good. And Chance Tucker's one of those guys that grew on me. And he's a guy that grew on me to the point where I'm, I'm, I'm really glad they got him. Number one for depth. But number two, the thing about Chance that grew on me is You know, Before I saw the film, I heard about his track times. Then I popped the film on, and I I don't see those track times being displayed on his junior season film. And so my first thought was a little bit of disappointment because I didn't see the game speed that I thought I would when I saw the track times. So I had to kind of overcome that initial negative feeling about Chance. But what won me over about him is you watch him play football, And he's one of the more instinctive corners that Notre Dame has recruited in in some time. Maybe he doesn't show the speed and the athleticism of a Troy Pride or the the agility and the explosiveness of what Julian Love brought to the table. And he doesn't have the length and size that that Ryan Barnes has or Cam Hart has or just a physical big body that Philip Riley has. But what he is, is a really technically sound, smart and physical football player which might surprise you when you see he's listed at like 170, 175 pounds. Chance has really strong hands. His route recognition as a corner is as good as you're going to see. His ball skills, and when I mean ball skills, I don't just mean you're playing off coverage and you see a slant and you jump the slant. I'm talking about his instincts to play the ball on vertical routes, which is something a lot of corners struggle with and separates really the great corners from the good corners. His is as good as i've seen i mean you watch his junior film and there's times where he's in he's in great position in man coverage he's kind of on the back hip of the corner and, and the receiver and he's playing it which is kind of you can protect the deep ball but you can also protect against the outcuts and things like that you don't necessarily want to be above them when you're in man coverage because otherwise it's real easy to snap off a comeback or snap off an out route and you're you're beat okay but what I what I look at and I saw a chance is he would stay in position. And, and I'm thinking, OK, well, let's see what he does. And a receiver would shoot his hands. And, and what good cornerback coaches will teach on a lot of those routes is it's, let me rephrase that. What some cornerback coaches will teach, not good ones, because I think good coaches can teach it both ways. What some co- cornerback coaches will teach is when he shoots, you shoot. So when the receiver shoots his hands to the ball as a DB, you got to shoot your hands to the ball and you push through it and you fight through the ball. Chance does that naturally. But what I also found to be really impressive about his film is he can look back to the ball and find the ball and not lose the receiver. And what happens with the, the reason a lot of cornerback coaches will teach the shoot technique is because a lot of corners, especially on corners, when they look back for the ball, it's kind of like the receiver version where I've said when receivers look back to the ball, a lot of times they they slow down or they start to they're not comfortable with their surroundings because how many people are comfortable running when they can't see where they're going. I mean, you don't walk into a, a a pitch black house and just start sprinting, right? You kind of feel your way around because you can't see where you're going. You walk into a house that's well lit and you're going to move around quickly. You're going to know exactly where you're going. It's, it's, just, it's human instinct. And so when guys turn their heads around, a lot of times their instinct is their body is to slow down or you lose what you can't see anymore. Chance does a great job of looking back and still seeing and feeling that route and then finding the ball. And what happens a lot of times is corners will look back and they'll look to the quarterback or they'll look at the quarterback level. What Chance clearly does is he looks up and he's looking for the trajectory of the football and then he you work down to find the ball. To see that on junior film is is just not something you see a lot. And so I think when you look at him, he's got really good length. He's not tall, but he's got good length. He's got strong hands. He's got instincts. If the speed can get where I hope it is, and if his speed on the field can match his track times, you're talking about a guy that could quickly go up the depth chart because his instincts are going to shine right away, in my opinion. And I think those are the things going to help him. He also just played football a couple months ago. So when he gets to the June, he's going to still be kind of fresh from playing football in, in March and April. So I think those are things that are really going to help Chance Tucker have an opportunity to play as long as, like I said, the speed catches up. So I think between those two corners, we can see one of them be harder to keep off the field this year. And I think they're going to have an opportunity to play. You get into the rest of the list and you look at Josh Bryan, to me, is a guy that only plays if one of two things happens. One, he shows a great knack for kickoffs. I could see a scenario in which he wins the kickoff job if they want to make sure that John the Door is only focusing on PATs and field goals. And and that would be I'd be okay with that. The other scenario is which John the Door just kind of has a mental collapse again. And we've seen John the Door sort of ride an emotional roller coaster at his time in Notre Dame, where early on in his career he showed some inconsistency. He has a tremendous leg. He's a really good athlete for a kicker. And and so he can drive the ball, he can get it deep. But then, you know, there's one kick he kicks out of the end zone or he nails a 50-plus yard field goal. And we saw this against Clemson where he kicks a very long field goal at the beginning of the game. And then the next series, Notre Dame gets into the scoring zone again and he misses a chip shot. And that's the thing with Jonathan doors is you, you just don't know where he's going to be at mentally and you don't know how he's going to respond to adversity. He still has a lot to prove in that regards. So I think those are the things that I look at with him and say – you just never know, and so you have to have Josh Bryan ready to go. My hope is that Josh Bryan redshirts this year. I all that's to me is the perfect plan of success, succession. You know, you look at it and you say, you have your veteran kicker or your veteran long snapper. You bring a kid in with that when that guy's a fifth year, you redshirt that kid, and then next year that kid's ready to go be a four year starter, and then you just repeat the process over and over again. That, to me, is the ideal situation, and so I would like to see Josh Bryan redshirt. He's one of the players that I hope, like, oh, I hope he doesn't have to play this year, more than the three three games that you're allowed to play and maintain your eligibility. Jaden Thomas is an interesting guy, too, because Jaden was banged up as a senior. He had a foot injury. He never really recovered. He didn't show the same athleticism as his junior, so that's kind of part of it. The other part of it is I don't know if Jaden has the necessary skills that are unique enough to sort of force him into the rotation for a, a program that has been reluctant to play freshman receiver. So unless Jaden comes in and he's just way better than I think he'll be as a true freshman, I don't see him playing a lot, if at all, early on. I think Jaden also is going to depend on, on where he's going to play. And <clears throat> at W, where he could fit, he's going to obviously be behind uh, he's going to be behind Kevin Austin and Deion Colsey and, and some of those players. But if they put him at W and that allows them to move Xavier Watts to X to give them more W uh, depth at W, he's not going to have a chance to really compete there unless so there's some injuries. At X, if you keep him at X, there's an opportunity he could play because you have Lorenzo Styles, you have Brain Lindsay. Well, Brain Lindsay's injury has been injury prone throughout his career. So if there's an injury there or or somebody's not playing well, then then maybe there's an opportunity for, for Jaden to move up the depth chart. But I would imagine they would probably move somebody else out there, somebody more experienced. So I think Jaden's gonna have a little tougher time getting on the field as a true freshman. But again, this is the situation I graded Jaden out as a four star player. Rivals, I believe, graded him out as a four star player. I think two four seven sports also graded him out as a two four as a, as a four star player. So we're talking about a four-star receiver that's going to have a hard time getting on the field. And and I mentioned that Notre Dame doesn't have a tendency to play freshman, but that's not the reason I don't think Jade's going to play. I think Notre Dame's receiving core is a lot more loaded than than maybe some others do, and I think it's going to be a harder climb for a player like him who doesn't necessarily have the unique skill set that Deion Colsey brings to the table, and and I just don't think he's quite on Deion's level. But he's got some skills. He's a big, strong kid, so I think that could help him. And big meaning like he's six one, but he's over 200 pounds. He's a baseball player. He's got some strength to him. His game's a little bit different, but it's just not so unique that he has to play. Then you get down to the offensive lineman, Joe Alt and Pat Coogan. I view those two guys completely differently. For me, when I look at Joe Alt, I see a guy with a very high ceiling. When I think of Joe Walt, I think of a guy that goes to, back in the day, 5, 6, 10, 15, 20 years ago, goes to Iowa, and he's a three-star recruit from Minnesota, kid that very few people know about, and he goes to Iowa or Wisconsin, and he sits for a couple years, and then maybe as a redshirt sophomore, as a redshirt junior, he all of a sudden he's a starter, and next thing you know, he's an all-Big Ten player. That's what I see in Joe Walt. He's that kind of player. He's going to need time to get the necessarily weight, and people said he's up to 300 pounds or whatever. We'll see. I, I, I'm con, I'm concerned about a guy going from 230, 240 to 300 that quickly and how he moves. I'm sure he's big and strong, but I need to see him move that way. And I see the chats. I've heard all the things about him being up to 300 pounds. But I'm uh, look, there's 300 pounds, and then there's being able to play at 300 pounds. And I think Joe's going to have a lot to learn there. The other part of it is Joe was a tight end in his career. And so there's a lot of technical aspects of the game that he has to learn. Now, it's great that he had a dad that played offensive line, and he can teach him some things. But there's going to be more of a learning curve, in my opinion, for Joe Alt than, than maybe you you might think from some other guys. That To me, I gave him a four-and-a-half-star ceiling. I mean, he has a very high ceiling. I just think he's going to need some time to get there. I think when you look at the depth chart at tackle, that is the only thing that gives me pause for having him this low because there aren't a lot of natural tackles on Notre Dame's depth chart. Even Blake Fisher, I feel, is going to be a very good tackle. I think he'd be even higher and better as a guard. Uh, I, I think that it's a situation where when you look at Michael Carmody, he's more of an interior player. Caleb Johnson, borderline right tackle guard. Uh, Tosh Baker's a tackle. Blake Fisher right now is a tackle. I don't see a lot of pure tackles on the roster. That could open up some opportunities for maybe Joe Alt to get a little bit more push on the up the depth chart than we otherwise might expect. When I look at Pat Coogan, I saw a chat down there. I've had plenty of people say this. Well, he's he's the number two center. N- no, he he won't be. Uh, I don't see a scenario in which Pat Coogan is, is going to legitimately be in the two deep. Now, I do expect him to play center. I do think there's a pretty good opportunity that they may list him second on the depth chart at center. But there are times in the past where Colin Grunhard was listed as the number two center, and other players are listed as number twos at a position. But when a guy got hurt, they didn't put that guy in the game. They put somebody else in the game. John Dirksen all last season was listed as the right, the backup right guard. When there was a need for another right guard, they didn't put John Dirksen in the game, right? They put Josh Lugg in the game or Dylan Gibbons in the game. So just because you're listed in the two deep or you're considered the number two to position doesn't mean you're going to play there. If, if Pat Coogan is way better than I think, maybe he can win the number two job, but I think he's a guy that's more of a, I mean, I hate to say it, but he's more of a career backup kind of guy. I don't see on film the athleticism that that you see from the best Notre Dame offensive line, from the guys that really play at a high level at Notre Dame. And so I think he's got a guy that's going to be a, a a number two guy, a John Dirksen type of career. There's nothing wrong with that. A Dylan Gibbons type of player. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't see him being a guy that's going to push for playing time, especially not as a freshman. I see him being a redshirt. And then the final one is Jason Onye whether he's an end or defensive tackle, and we're not going to talk a lot about him because this is a show about guys that are going to help us freshmen. Jason Onye is a guy that I think has a very high ceiling. He is a guy that went to his high school to play basketball, has only played football for really two seasons. In his second season of playing football, he had a monster year. He had a ton of success, a lot of production, and, and he's a guy that, that I ranked a lot higher than most. I actually graded him as a four-star player because I see tremendous size, I see really good athleticism. I see a guy that had a lot of production. And, you know, when you look at his junior season after just his second year of football, this is a kid that had 15 sacks. So I I think he's a guy that in past years at Notre Dame might have been needed to play because he's so athletic and he's a big kid, whether he's a D-end or a three technique. But because of the depth that Notre Dame has right now, I think a kid that raw, no matter how talented he is, is going to need time to develop. But I am very high on Jason Onye's future. The only reason, and I'm going to pull this list back up, the only reason that I have Jason Onye this slow on the list is because he didn't play as a senior. And for a kid that has only played football two years, he needed that development. And number two is because it's such a loaded, absolutely loaded depth chart. So uh, he's someone that I'm very much looking forward to seeing next spring. I am—I I don't think we're going to hear a lot about Joseph, Jason Onye as a freshman, but I can't wait to see him next spring when he's got a, a full fall season and in some in a, in a summer workout, fall workout, and then summer workouts or winter workouts. I can't wait to see him next year because I do think Jason Onye has a very, very bright future. But for right now, when we look at just guys that are going to have a chance to play as true freshmen – I think it's going to be a lot harder for Jason Onye to crack that list than it will be uh, for some other players in the sport. And so that's why he is, he is lower on the list. Now, injuries could change that, but that's true at every position. So that is where we're at with the incoming freshmen. So we have at least – I have – what I've marked down, I went through my list, got my list of players right here. I went through my list and I circled guys that I really think are going to play as freshmen. And I've got nine of the current freshmen on the, that were on the rush in the spring are going to have a chance to play. And I have Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles, Cain Barong, Mitchell Evans, Blake Fisher, Rocco Spindler, Gabriel Rubio, Ryan Barnes, Philip Riley, Justin Walters. Then I look at the other group, the incoming freshmen, and I see Deion Colsey, the two running backs, Prince Colley, Kerry G, the two cornerbacks. That's 16 freshmen that I think are going to have an opportunity to push for playing time this year. They're not all going to play, at least not on offense or defense. But the fact that I could see that many guys playing is a testament to how deep and how talented this incoming freshman class is on both sides of the ball. Now, the defensive class is more of a low-floor, high-ceiling group of players. That's true of Will Schweitzer, Jason Onye, um, Devin Upal. I think it's also true of some of the defensive backs, but it was a deep and athletic and long secondary class. You have one of the best players in the entire class as a linebacker, and then, and then you have a lot of players on offense that I think are going to have a chance to play, and, and partly because the offense lost, lost a lot more players. But also I think that's where the higher floors and the higher ceilings exist. You know, Obviously, Blake Fisher's very high floor, very high ceiling. Ty Buckner, Tyler Buckner, very high ceiling. Floor is – we'll see. Deion Colsey, high floor, high ceiling. Um, Lorenzo styles, high floor, high ceiling, uh, came high floor, high ceiling. So I think Rocco Spindler, same way. So I think that's why there's so many offensive guys listed. It's not just that they lost a lot of players. It's that there are more ready-made guys on offense, guys that are big. I mean, two of the three biggest offensive linemen on your entire roster in 2021 are going to be true freshmen and Blake Fisher, who's your biggest and Rocco Spindler. So that's going to factor into it. And then you've got two backs that are over 200 pounds. You've got an incoming freshman receiver that's six four over 200 pounds. So I think the freshman class on offense could have a much bigger impact even than we see on defense other than the secondary. So that is it for today for my analysis of it. So what we're going to do now is we're going to open it up to questions. I'm going to go through and share some of the comments that people left during the show. If you have a question, Uh, that you'd like to add now's the time to add it because when i get through the list of guys that we have right now we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up so we'll see how uh how many questions we get so let's start with john john says he's excited to see jojo johnson i think a lot of a lot of people are he's a guy that's very very low recruiting ranking but a very talented player and if you only watch his film and you didn't look at his recruiting ranking then i think you're going to probably have the same feeling that john has Thomas Walsh says, Logan Diggs posted on Twitter he just had surgery. What happened and how long of a recovery uh, before he's raring to go? Honestly, Thomas, I I don't know what that's about. That could be something as simple as, you know, he's getting something cleaned up. It could be something that he's getting a tooth removed, for all I know. He's having oral surgery, for all I know. I don't have any idea. But what I do know is he was working out this weekend and putting workout video this weekend So I don't believe this is anything major. I would imagine this is something that they're just trying to get done before fall camp. So I have not heard anything beyond that. There's nothing that gives me reason for concern as of right now, but a lot of that just comes from not knowing, but I have reached out. I'm trying to find some answers to that. And if I hear anything, obviously we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let you guys know what we're hearing from that. But as of right now, I haven't heard anything that should make me question whether or not he's going to be ready to go when fall camp starts or even when the summer workout starts on, uh, on around june 12th sean I, I hope that this lived up to your expectations my man all right brandon crim i think i read that espn says that we will be an eight win football team just wow i'll bet you 20 bucks that was on the, the football fpi which is the biggest joke of analytics around there this is the same if it is the fpi and i bet you it is that's the same formula that after lsu beat clemson and beat, who did LSU beat in the semifinals? Oklahoma, and then Clemson beat Ohio State. After the championship game was played, ranked Ohio State and, 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 and Clemson ahead of LSU. It's stupid. It's absolutely pointless. It also ranked Michigan, I believe, ahead of uh, Notre Dame, even though they had two losses in 2012. It, it's ESPN's analytics, and that stuff is just an absolute joke. I pay no attention to that. Tommy Leonard says, who would you guys have liked to see enroll early that didn't? Mine are Prince and G. Uh, for me, it would be – it would I would like to have seen Prince Colley enroll early, partly because Mo, Paul Molo was out. There would have been a great opportunity for him to play, and Kerry G is another one. But the one for me that I would have loved to have seen enroll early is Deion Colsey because of the things I talked about. I think Deion could have benefited as much, if not more, than any incoming freshman not named Rocco Spindler or Blake Fisher to for for playing time i think if he would have had 15 practices under his belt and having to battle against you know cam hart and clarence lewis and Tariq bracy and ryan barnes and philip riley and guys like ramon henderson every day i think that made him a lot better he would have then found out by now the areas where he needed to improve and i think he would have taken off this summer so he he's a guy that it would have been almost impossible to keep him off the field if he'd have been in an early enrollee john climax says uh Tommy totally agree with G would have been nice to get Collie and Tucker on campus early too. Jason on the down vote thing. I'll call and explain that one to you here a, a, a little bit later. Um Sean, John Rogers says, Tommy, I agree. Key and Jolly also think Jojo is a sleeper for PT at corner, which means to the point of the question, had he been enrolled early, he would have had a much better shot to, uh, to, to, to play obviously. Jason's predictions are G Colsey, a running back and a DB. Colley has a ton, a ton of LBs to beat out. That's true, but I think he's good enough. But I also believe it depends on where he plays, Jason. I think if he's a Rover, he's got to beat beat out Isaiah Pryor and Paul Muala. It's going to be a little easier than if you move him to Will and he's going to play and he's going to have to beat out Maris LeFou and and, uh, Shane Simon and potentially J.D. Bertrand, who could play both positions. Sean Rogers with the bold prediction. Kali will be in the two deep at Rover by game one. I'd probably be a little surprised, Sean, if it was by game one. But I, if he stays at Rover, I think Prince Kali will be in the two deep at some point in time sooner rather than later. But that's a very bold prediction. I dig it. I definitely dig it. Let's see here. Jack Foote says, what do you say to a kid who is eager to commit, but you are waiting for someone else who's higher up on your list to decide first? I think what you say is you'd be honest. And from everything I've ever been told about Notre Dame, very few instances have they not been honest with kids, and the coaches that weren't are guys that aren't here anymore. Uh, from I mean, I, I've been told even some good football players that they, they wanted to commit, and the staff said, we're not ready to take your commitment yet. And usually with Notre Dame, that's communicated early in the process. I mean, Notre Dame has been pretty good over the years of being honest with kids about where things stand. And I think what they're doing a good job of this year is they're they're not pushing for commitments. And they're and they're, I think the right way to do it, and, and from what I've heard talking to different sources, but also recruits, but sources of Notre Dame, is they kind of come in and say right away, like, look, here's the process. We're offering you, we like you a lot, but we want to get you on campus first before either one of us start thinking about making moves. You know, we 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 haven't had a chance to see you in person, we haven't been able to get out on visits, and they're they're able to use the fact that they haven't seen kids in person as a as a good justification to say. Don't commit yet. Come for the visit first, and that gives them some time to really see how they how things shake out and see where they stand. Where maybe a kid that you wouldn't take now, when he commits when he visits in late June, you know that you you're not in great as good a shape as you thought with a couple other guys at his position, and you're in a better position to take that. So I think honesty is also is always the best part, but honesty from the beginning, and then just let them know here's how the process works, and here's here's where we need to be, and and these type of things. Omar Austin, it would be scary how good Kali would have to be in order to beat out Kaiser. I, I agree. And, and so you know, I'm not predicting him to beat out Jack Kaiser. I mean, I just had an article the other day talking about how Jack Kaiser is a guy that I think is a dark horse All-American candidate. It'd be kind of nuts for me to then come and say that that Prince Kali going to beat him out. But I agree with you. He'd have to beat him out. I just And I'm not saying you're saying that I said this. I am just want to be clear. I'm not saying Prince Kali is going to start. None of these kids are necessarily going to start. This is about who's going to have, have an opportunity to play and contribute as a freshman. Some of them may start, but most of these guys are guys that I see being part of a rotation, not not being starters. Connor Patton, is there another Jeremiah Wusukor Moa in this class? By that I mean, is there a guy who'll be great after some development? It, yeah, I think there's a lot of them, and if if we're not necessarily talking about just that position, you know, when I look at this list. You know, you look at the early enrollees, the guys that are already on campus. I feel that way about Devin Uppow and Will Schweitzer. I think they have a lot of upside. I think Ryan Barnes is that kind of guy. When I look at uh, the, the, the guys that are going to be showing up this summer, I think Kerry G is that kind of guy. Kerry G was not a very highly ranked player, even though he was committed to LSU. He was a guy that was a four star, but he wasn't like a top 150 kind of guy. I think he's got way better talent than people give him credit for. He certainly has a higher ceiling than people. I think Joe Alt is that kind of player. And I think Jason Onye is that kind of player. Now, will they be, you know, unanimous all Americans like Jeremiah Wusukoramal was? No, but they're guys that could be, to your point, you know, really, really good football players after some development. John Climax says, to be honest, the more that enroll, the better. Helps to get aligned with Notre Dame class loads before the season and go and to get with Bayless. Yeah, I agree. And John's talking about early enrollees. I agree. I'm glad. I'm so glad that Notre Dame has, has opened up this opportunity for more and more kids to enroll early because I think it is such a great thing for them. And honestly, I think they benefit more academically than they do athletically, although it benefits them tremendously athletically. But, you know, if you're struggling your first couple of months in a class and you're in the spring, then it's you're you're fine. You, you There's no games to prepare for. You don't practice every day. It's every other day. Workouts are early in the morning plenty of time to go see tutors less pressure you know because you, you got if for some reason you struggle with a class you've got summer school and all those type of things whereas if you kind of come out of the gate struggling academically early in the fall you're worried about being eligible you know if i pass this test i mean you know, good what's going to happen and, and you're kind of swimming where now you get and the other thing too is kids are almost always out of football camp when class starts so all of a sudden you're thrown into this fire of we're starting class this week and we play Florida state on Saturday or something like, or Sunday or Toledo on Saturday. And that can be challenging. You're getting used to where, you know, where your classes are, where's your advisors, where's the academic support center, all these different things that you're now getting acclimated to at once. Whereas when you come in the spring, by the time you get to the fall, you're like an experienced guy, you know, where everything is, you know, where the academic is, you know, the, you know, the academic people, you know, your advisor, you've had a chance to sit down with your advisor you know, more professors, it's just such a much a better situation for them academically. And as young people, you know, you, you it's tough when you get thrown from never having been away from your family for long periods of time to where you're thrown right into fall football camp. That can be an incredibly traumatic experience for some kids. Whereas now you kind of get the sprint the winter and the spring and then summer. And it's just it's a much better opportunity, in my opinion, for all of them. Brian, Tommy says, Brian, just how good exactly can Josh Bryan really be? I mean, I think he's a good kicker. I I don't think he's like this all world guy that I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to be, you know, the next Sebastian Janikowski. I mean, he's a good steady kicker with a, with a good live leg. He's an athlete. That's another thing I like about him. There's some clips of Josh Bryant. I, I, I I think I, I think he was, and I could be wrong. So if somebody knows I'm wrong on this, please correct me in the chat, but I believe he was, he started at linebacker for his high school team or safety. He was, he played defense. There's some video of him playing defense. So he's not your typical kicker. He's actually a football player. Now he's not a Notre Dame caliber athlete at other positions besides kicker, but it's kind of like Jay Bramlett. One of the things I love about Jay Bramlett is Jay Bramlett was a good football player. He was a starting quarterback on a high school team and led his team to the state ch- to the state playoffs. I like guys like that. I like guys that, that that are the kickers that are football players. Cause what you're going to find with those kind of guys is they don't have the typical mental and emotional roller coasters that I didn't mean to do this. Like they're nuts. I'm just like thinking roller coaster that you tend to see from the kicker only guys that never played football. They they tend to be a little bit more of a fragile group where guys that are football players, they understand coaches getting in your face and they understand being yelled at and they understand being chewed out. They understand making mistakes. Jay Bram was thrown interceptions before, right? He knows what it means to make a mistake. And you're not going to see him, you know, sort of go into the dark hole that some kickers and punters do when they make a mistake. And then it just leads to repeated mistakes. They tend to bounce back a lot quicker. And and I like that. And I know I don't see you always should do that. But if 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 all things are somewhat close or even and one kid actually plays football and the other kids like just a kicker, give me the kid that played football uh, every every time of the every day of the week. Jason says, uh, G, Alt, Johnson, Estime, have upside, no question. Notre Dame 2164, what's up, Brian? What's up, my friend? How are you? Thanks for joining the show. I see you have a question down here. How good is Kerry G as far as upside goes? I haven't read much about him. Well, uh, I'm going to put my defensive, so what I put out on signing day, and you can read a little bit. I'm going to put it in the chat, so you check it out. But uh, that's kind of the link that I all the defensive players I broke down. I really like Kerry G a lot. He was my number five recruit on the defensive recruit in the class, which if you look at who was ahead of him, it was Philip Riley, Ryan Barnes, uh, Gabriel Rubio, and Prince Colley. I graded out uh, Collie and Rubio's top 100 players. I graded out Ryan Barnes as a top 150 player. I'm much higher on Ryan Barnes than most people. And then Philip Riley and Kerry G I graded out as top 250 players. I think Kerry G has top 250. He's a top 250 player. But his upside is is much higher than that. I mean, he's got very, very high upside. He, I gave him a four and a half star upside, and I, I, can, I could thought about giving him five star upside, but I, I don't, I don't. He didn't have the just the raw speed yet for me to go that far on the upside ranking. But still, four and a half star upside ranking is is a, is a good is a good upside. Now he's going to need some time to develop. There's still parts of his game that need a lot of work and improvement. Um, and then I'm also going to put my film breakdown of him in there as well. So you can check that out and get a better feel for it. But but I like Kerry G. You know, I, I don't I don't view him as – like he is just a scotch below where I thought Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo was coming out of high school. Kerry's got a better body. Jeremiah Wusu was a little bit more explosive athletically coming out of high school. But but they're very similar players in regards to where our projection was. And as I said before, Jeremiah Wusu outplayed Even my expectations for him when I had him as a four-star player with a -a four-and-a-half-star upside. But their similar sort of good now in time could be really, really good. Sean Rogers says, Brian, I I so agree. Colsey is the only natural W we have. Well, in this class, I still think Kevin Austin is a a very natural W. But, yeah, there's just not a lot of natural boundary players on the roster, which may be why Notre Dame's trying to recruit an entire roster full of Ws in the current 2022 class. Jason uh, Jason says, who knows? He has Brian Poling coaching him. That's tough to overcome. <laughs> well played. Kenny Moore says, would love to see Coley play this year, but BK acts like uh, he is allergic to freshman receivers. I get that, and that's a concern, but I, I, I do think there's comes a point in time where his combination of talent, size, and just the fact that he's so unique is going to make it hard not to play him. You know, and, and that's one thing he has over Jordan Johnson is Jordan Johnson was was a guy that that needed to be precise and needed to have the the plays down and to be a good route runner because he was six one and a half he wasn't Deion six four there's a there's a case for Deion to be just look we got to play him because we don't have anybody else to like him you couldn't say that about Jordan as good as I think Jordan Johnson was he wasn't a unicorn on your roster the way that Deion Colsey is Jay says, Deion was snagging one-handed INTs in high school. He was a very good high school defensive back. Now, part of that was he played against pretty poor competition, but he's a very talented athlete. There's no question about it. Sean Rogers says, I'm super excited to see G, what G looks like. He could be a huge addition to the back end. He has amazing length. I agree. Kenny Moore says, I think Prince Kali has star written all over him. I agree. Jason referring to the G Kali situation, it looks like he says, I think it's more likely someone else moves to Rover and Collie to goes to Buck. I, I just maybe down the road, Jason, but I don't see that as freshman. I don't I don't see the point in putting Kali inside of, right away because it's 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 so much easier to move a guy from outside to in than it is from inside to out. Especially when you look at sort of outside is what Prince did in high school. I think he'll start at Rover, and if if he's not comfortable there, or if there's an opportunity to play sooner, they'll move him inside. But I would imagine they'll do with him what they did with Shane Simon and a lot of other linebackers, which is give him a shot first rover, and then see what he can do. And, and you know, I, I could be wrong on that, but I mean, I think Jack Kaiser is the only guy that I can remember that started off inside and then moved outside. But even he played some some rover a little bit as a freshman. Jack Foot says, if Kerry G becomes more of a linebacker in the future, would that push uh, Collie, Prince Collie inside linebacker? Yeah, I think so, especially when you look at Nolan Nolan Ziegler in the 2022 class. You got Nolan coming in. I think they, they're going to give Jalen Sneed, if he commits, uh, an opportunity to um, to play Rover early on. So I think there's there's a lot of potential for Rover. So if Carry G is also more of a Rover player, then I do think you could slide Prince inside. And to Jason's earlier point, I think Prince Kali could be a star at Rover or a star at Will Linebacker. I have no problem with him moving inside if that's what's going to get him on the field faster. But that's where I'm coming from, Jason, to your point. And then speaking of Jack here too is I'm putting Prince Kali as a true freshman at the position where the depth chart needs a player like him the most. When I look at Will, it's going to be tough for him to beat out Shane Simon and Maris Luafau. At Rover, he doesn't need to beat out Prince Jack Kaiser. He needs to beat out Isaiah Pryor and, Mar- and uh, Prince uh, Paul Muala, which I think will be a lot easier. And this is the question I was referring to earlier. Mike Gardner said, if, if needed, could JoJo play slot receiver? He looks like a natural. I think he could, and I think he's he is more of a natural receiver. That's where he played most of his career. When he came to Notre Dame's camp in 2019, it was to work out as a receiver. If Notre Dame chooses not to push hard for Xavion Bradshaw, which I had a source tell me this weekend may be the case. We'll get into that later. Then there, there may be a time when if they bring in nothing but power forwards at receiver again, that they meet they may need to move Jojo to wide receiver to give them sort of an after-the-catch guy. Because within the next two years, maybe the next year, Avery Davis, print uh Lawrence Keys, and Braden Lindsay are all gonna be off the roster. And then it's Xavier Watts and a bunch of Giants again. And we've seen that story before, and we know how that story ends. And that's some of my question with with uh, that strategy, but I'm I'm gonna write about that and we'll have some shows about that come up here very soon. So Uh, won't spend too much time on that now john a1 also asked thoughts on joe alt Uh, what i'm going to do john is i'm going to put my offensive breakdown from the 2021 class at the bottom of the chat so you can check that out and then in there if you click on joe alt's name you'll be able to see uh, my evaluation for him. i think joe is going to need time to develop but i i very high upside i think he's an athletic player i think he's a natural tackle i like him as a senior i liked him Better than I like the Ryan Harris kid. If you guys remember Ryan Harris, he was a kid from Michigan that Notre Dame really wanted. He was a tight end in high school. He's I think he's going to start at all. He started some last year from Michigan. He's probably going to start again at offensive tackle this year. I like Joe Walt better than I did Ryan Harris because I think Joe's got more natural power. Very high upside. I just think he needs he's going to need time to develop. Mike Mike Gardner says Mickens needs just uh, this is cornerbacks coach Mike Mickens just needs good clay. The guy can mold talent. Agree completely agree completely um jason says about joe walt all has put on a ton of weight in a short time frame i'm sure some of it's good but he's going to need to red shirt and rebuild some more he has the potential to play no question i i agree talking about pat coogan yeah so with the pat coogan thing is look there's if if Jarrett Patterson has to move to center, there's a lot more guards that can play. I mean, Andrew Kristoffic, you've got Mike, Michael Carmody could move inside. Quinn Carroll's there. There's plenty of guards. No, if, if they have to move Zeke or, or Jarrett Patterson to center, they're, they're going to be fine at guard. I think Pat Coogan could certainly be in the two deep, written two deep, but he's not going to be part of the two deep this year unless there are major injuries, in my opinion. All right, here's a question about Jaden Thomas. Let's get back to here. Thomas Walsh asks: Is Jaden considered more of a baseball or football player at Notre Dame? He's a football player that also wants to play baseball, not the other way around. Uh, Sean Rogers asks: Guys, do we have any updates on Austin's status for the fall? We won't. We won't hear anything until we get really to summer workouts. We're going to find out. You know how much is he working out? You know what kind of what's his GPS is up to? What's his you know is he how many reps is he able to take this summer? Is he going to be at seventy five percent, eighty percent, one hundred percent? We're not going to know anything until the summer. And really we won't know anything definitively until the fall. We've got to see him. If, if we get a report the first week of of summer practice that Kevin Oss was out there and he was balling, that's great. But I need to see him go through the whole summer, make it through there and then be ready for the fall to, to really be comfortable that that foot is, is structurally sound. That's a, that's a really big thing for me. So I know people want to hear it, and I could easily go get talk to a source and just give you some kind of, you know, fluffy update that doesn't tell you a lot. But I just just be patient. Let Let's get into July and August before you really worry about where he is, because anything you hear in June is just going to be kind of how he looks in the first week or two. You're not going to really know until he's put some wear and tear on that foot and been able to get through it that you're going to really feel, um, really feel uh, good about where he is going to be. Uh, all right, guess a baseball question. Uh, says haven't paid close attention, but last time I looked, Casey Komet has had only one at, at bat this year. Do you know if he is injured? He had a great and clutch player in high school, much smaller than his bro. I don't, I honestly don't know the answer to that. I just know he has not played. The baseball team is very, very veteran, and I, and I think that's probably something that's hurting Casey a little bit too. If he is healthy, he is if you look around the board, exception of maybe Jack Brandigan at third base, there's a couple other sophomores, but for the most part, they're a very experienced lineup. And they're they're having a great year. They're the number 1 seed in the ACC tournament. I mean, I would imagine they're a lock for the the College World Series. Um but I kind of don't remember how that works, but I mean, I, I, this is a heck of a baseball team. They, they did, they got some really good grad transfers in the rotation, uh, including JD Bertrand's brother, John Michael, who's been a, just a great, great starter for them. He's had a couple complete games. Just has been a tremendous pitcher for them. They had a couple bullpen arms um, that were very helpful, but their lineup is going to, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in the lineup next year for guys to step in um, moving forward. Then the nice thing is, 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 this is a year that won't count for Casey because of Col- because of the COVID year. I was across the board. Uh, maybe it might have been. Yeah, I don't think this year is going to count for him. So uh, he's got he's got a lot of time. He's got a lot of time. Let's see if you have any questions. Okay, here's the last question from Michael Moore. So um, if you have any more questions, get him in now. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up after after Michael's question. So Michael Moore says, "Why can different positions like corner, safety, linebacker play nickel and does uh, and uh, does it?" Do, Is And what is the nickel's job, I think is what the question is. Well, to me, Michael, it's about a skill set, and each of those guys are going to do certain things differently. So when you look at the nickel position and you're playing a team like USC, for example, USC runs the ball very little. They averaged less than 100 yards rushing last year. And you're playing that kind of spread. You want a nickel that can cover. You want a guy that can run. Now, maybe you have a linebacker that can do that, you no, know, but that's where you might see a safety or a cornerback really thrive in that role, especially a cornerback. You know, so you'd be able to match up against that opportunity against that. Then you play teams that are maybe more run oriented or more balanced, like a North Carolina. You may want a safety or a linebacker there, but essentially, a nickel's job is you've got to be the first line of defense in space on the edge. Essentially, so if there's perimeter screens, if there's perimeter runs, you're the first line of defense on the perimeter. You have to be able to play the alley. You have to be able to take on blocks affi- effectively which means physically you have to take on blocks, which means you have to have proper angles, whether your job is to spill it outside, whether your job is to force it to where you got to get outside the blocker and force the run back inside where your alley safety or your linebackers can help. You have to be someone that is rangy in coverage. You have to be able to play the flats effectively. You have to be able to come downhill on quick routes and tackle in space. You have to be able to quickly get up underneath curl routes and out cuts and and perimeter throws. Um, You have to be able to jump a a quick five yard route and dive on that just as effectively as you can get out underneath a deep outcut, which is very difficult and you have require a lot of range. And in a perfect world, you need a slot, a nickel that can cover, meaning man to man. And that's where you can get into some challenges of there are only certain types of linebackers that can do that. You know, there's a couple of the rovers on the roster now are guys that I think are are good players uh, that I just, they're more limited. Paul Mowal is a little bit more limited as a rover. Isaiah Pryor is definitely limited as a rover. Whereas I think Jack Kaiser can do it all. I think Prince Colley can do it all. I think Nolan Ziegler can do it all. Jalen Snead would be a little bit more of a Drew Tranquil type of rover than he would be a Jeremiah Usu Koromoa type of rover. So those are the things that I look at. And hopefully, Michael, that answers your question. But that's the role of a nickel. I mean, he has the the... That is, a, that is one of the more challenging, demanding positions on the defense, which is why it has an opportunity for such great production. As I mentioned in a couple articles I did at Irish Breakdown, uh, the, the rover at Cincinnati last year, Jerome White, he was on pace for about 100 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, four sacks and three interceptions as the rover. Now, when I mean on pace, they only played 10 games. So if you project that out to a full season of 13 games, that's what his production would have been like. And I, I that's really good production, especially for a team that had so much production at linebacker and in other positions. So we saw what it, we saw what it did it for Jeremiah Usikormo. He had what 24 25 tackles for loss the last 2 years. 24 tackles for loss the last 2 years. That's a position where you're going to you you need to do a lot, but but you're also going to have a lot chance for a lot of production. So that is what the nickel the nickel is. Uh Liam Gaming. Looks like we have one last question. Liam says, when do June enrollees get playbooks and do they start strength conditioning program on their own? That is sent to them. They've already started, in my opinion, the, the strength conditioning programs. Uh much of them have. Now, officially, I don't know the so I don't know the division one rule. For us, we couldn't send kids workouts until they graduated. So I don't know if that's the same case for Notre Dame. I'm not quite sure on that, but uh, they know what the workouts are there's no question about that all right dynasty isp says good show appreciate the insights as i don't keep up with recruiting as much because all i hear is non-academic schools in the top five every year it gets old that's why you shouldn't worry about recruiting rankings look notre dame is a top five program that doesn't have a top five recruiting class so uh, there's a lot of top five teams with recruiting classes that 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 uh don't finish in the top 10 much less the top five i I I wish people would vote. And this is one of the things I love about SI All-American. And I'm not just saying that because I I work with them. But the thing I like about John Garcia and that group over at SI All-American is it's all about the film. It's all about, you know, projection when they do a ranking of a class. And the reason they had Notre Dame ranked as high as they did is they don't look at points. It's not a point system it's, did you meet your needs? Did you fill out the class effectively? Did you, did you have any big, do you have any big holes in the class? You know, they, and they look at rankings more of a subjective manner. So a class that maybe lacks a couple five stars and because this is what a point system does. A point system sets an arbitrary number on what a five star is that ranks number 12 compared to what a five star is that ranks number 20 something compared to what a four star is that ranks 45th. They put an arbitrary number on it and that's how recruiting class is determined. If you ranked here, you get this number of points. If you rank here, you get the number of points. Whereas SI All-American looks at it and says, they got a really good quarterback, really good running back, really good receivers, and they go down the list and say, boy, that's a really good class. Whereas this class maybe had two or three five stars, but they had some holes in some other positions. So we'll take this class with no five stars over that class because this is a better overall group, which is why Notre Dame consistently the last four years has outplayed its recruiting rankings. It's why Clemson has outplayed its recruiting rankings. I believe that Notre Dame and Clemson in the last 10 years have the same number of top five recruiting finishes or top seven recruiting finishes, according to S to to 24 seven sports, if I remember correctly, Notre Dame out-recruited Clemson in four of the five years leading up to their battle in 2015 and 2016, when Clemson won the title. So not every, you know, Clemson does not finish with top two and three recruiting classes every year. They're rarely, rarely top five. So that's why I say, I just don't, I don't put a lot into, into, um, you know, that, that whole debate, just follow recruiting from the standpoint of who's looking to Notre Dame and then find the places where you're going to get honest analysis of what that recruit brings to Notre Dame. And you'll definitely get that here, but there's some other people that do a good job with that stuff too. But I would encourage you to still follow recruiting because it's fun. Just don't get caught up in all the, that's something I like about it. all American, no star rankings. It's just, a, it's analysis of what the guy can do, but you know, that's what you're going to get here whether look no matter what a guy's ranking may be I'm going to tell you honestly how I feel about him if he's a three-star that I think is really good I'm gonna tell you if he's a highly ranked kid that I don't think is really that good at least to his ranking I'm gonna tell you but what you're gonna get outside of the rankings is here's an analysis of what the kid brings to the table here's how the kid fits the Notre Dame offense or defense and I think that's something that is recruiting is a lot more fun if that's the case Liam says are there any recruits coming on June 1st no and Notre Dame is not going to have a recruiting weekend. the The first weekend where a lot of schools are having recruiting weekends, Notre Dame is not having recruits on campus that weekend in 2022. There's going to be a lot of there's going to have they're going to be doing camps. They're going to be trying to get 23 kids on campus that weekend. So, uh, but they won't be having any 2022 recruits on campus that first week of June. All right, so that is it. As Tommy says, hit the like button, y'all. Smash it. And I agree completely. Uh, so please, I appreciate appreciate everybody being on the show with me. Before you leave, please hit the like button for the show, please, uh, hit the subscribe button to our channel, please. Uh, so if you're listening on the podcast, do me a solid and, uh, and give us a five-star ranking. And then of course, as always get to irishbreakdown.com And so let, we got one more question came in. We'll answer before we go. What do you think of the fact OSU and Bama are setting all time rankings records though? Aren't the top, the top, top teams separating from others? Again, it depends on how you look at rankings. Go back and look at how many times those kids were ranked high and they signed with those schools. Or in the case with some of these kids is they're not ranked that high. Uh, and, y- you know, they commit to this school and they they go up higher. I mean, look, here's the other thing. People say, well, you know, uh, Ohio State in 2014 had this number of five stars on their roster. They didn't have a single five star in their starting lineup. The one time Ohio State won a national title, they had seven three-star players starting on offense. You know, and then you look at, okay, well, are all these five-stars actually good players? I mean, Alabama had five-star players that didn't play. Uh, they had five-star guys that weren't playing over three stars. So, you, you know, look, Alabama won a title before they were dominating a recruiting rankings. Ohio State won a title before they were dominating recruiting rankings. And a lot of times, as I've said a million times, there's biases that go into recruiting rankings, especially now, and there's certain... well. If this kid has offers from A, B, C, and D, they're going to be ranked higher. And if they don't, then they're going to be ranked lower. And that's why I say is don't just look and say, well, Alabama's winning because of the recruiting rankings. Well, they're recruiting because they won. That's the difference. And a lot of the guys that they get are highly ranked guys and they develop them. But there's been plenty of guys at Alabama that weren't highly ranked players. Let's not forget that their star quarterback, who was the number 15 overall draft pick, was a three-star kid and they're numbered 399 player in the country. Okay, he was he was he was I me mean, to me he outplayed Tua Tungavalo, who's a five star recruit. Alabama's also had plenty of quarterbacks. David Cornwell comes to mind. Cooper Bateman comes to mind that were highly ranked quarterbacks and never did a thing at Alabama. So you, you have to look at it and say, yes, they're separating themselves, but they're separating themselves because they're not just recruiting well, but they're coached at an exceptionally high level. And I think that that Notre Dame with this class that we just talked about narrowed the gap slightly. Now the 2022 class needs to be one where they really close the gap. And that's a big thing. But I would also say to you that for the last six or seven years, Ohio State is, and Georgia have both recruited, uh, according to the services, at a much higher rate and better rate than Clemson. But Clemson keeps winning because, again, it's about building a roster, not just landing a bunch of five-star recruits. Georgia lands elite recruits every year. What does Georgia want? Nothing, Right. Florida State's had a ton of top five classes. USC's had a ton of top five classes. They've all had way more top five classes than Notre Dame. And Notre Dame's been a better program the last decade than both of them, and it's dominated both of them on the field. It's Look, everybody says, well, uh, Alabama and Ohio State recruit well, and they're winning, so clearly recruiting matters. Well, Clemson, they never talk about where Clemson ranks. You never hear that. They never talk about the fact that Florida State and Tennessee and Texas and and USC – are ranking high every year and they stink, right? What, what, what's what, what's the difference? So it's about development. It's about coaching and it's about getting the right highly ranked players, not just getting players. It's about getting players that have high ceilings, whether it's a guy that's a high ceiling now or whether a guy like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa that's a high ceiling later. Does anyone want to tell me that Dylan Moses, who was a five-star top 10 recruit, was better than Jeremiah Wusukoromoa? Does anybody want to make that argument for me? Uh, does anyone to tell me that the five-star safeties on Alabama's roster are better than Kyle Hamilton? Only one outlet ranked as a five-star? You're not going to be able to tell me that because the play didn't show that, right? I mean, it just, it just didn't. So that's kind of the way I look at it is what do they do when it's all said and done? So, uh, and then Notre Dame two, one, six, four. I love, I really love the fact that star ranking is not the end all be all for this channel it takes effort to do real now. So I appreciate that. And, but you know, at the same time, some, there's good analysts on the other places, but they work for an outlet that requires star ranking. So they do have to focus on it and getting in Thanks for answering. I know it was a bit late on that question. Have a go,ing Brian. Hey, you got it in before I wrapped up the show. So I felt like I wanted to get it to you. And it's a very good question too. So anyway, everybody have a great show. We'll be back tomorrow. Vince will be back with us tomorrow. We're going to get back to position breakdowns. Uh, Wednesday, we'll have another position breakdown. And then Wednesday night, we're going to talk about cornerback recruiting. So make sure you check that out. And as always, make sure you check out irishbreakdown.com. And this is another one of the the items that's going to be in the merch store right here. So um, this is the hats from the merch store. Everything is good. I'm just waiting to hear back from my accountant on... uh, A couple quick things, and once that's done, the merch store is going to be launched. So I'm hoping that that's going to be this week for the people that have asked about it. So we we got the get we got the uh, gap closers gear designed and it's good to go. So I've ordered some of that. So uh, we're gonna have some nice selections of hats, shirts, mugs for you guys to check out. So um, that's what we're gonna have. And We got a couple different hoodies on there as well. So everybody have a great great rest of your day. We'll be back with you again very very soon and uh, stay locked into Irishbreakdown.com. Talk to you soon.